welcome to a special edition of our show, Her Story on the Rocks. Typically, I'd be hanging out here with Katie and we would be drinking cocktails and talking about famous women in history. But sometimes we like to talk to women who are writing about history. We have a very special guest with us today, Melinda Lowe. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're so excited that you're here. Melinda is a national award-winning best-selling author and is here to talk about her newest book, Last Night at the Telegraph Club, which was named the best-selling book of 2021 by NPR, correct? Oh, not best-selling. One of the best books oh, of 2021. One of I, the- I, I'll take that, though. I would love to have had the best-selling book of 2021, let me tell you. <laughs> well, we'll get everybody to go buy it so you can get those checks coming in the mail. <laughs> 2022, it's right. here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I was reading a whole bunch of different reviews of your book, and one of the ones that stuck out to me the most was from Miss Magazine, and it said that it was lush, ambitious, and layered. Melinda Lowe's sweeping historical novel is the queer romance we've all been waiting for. That's really high praise. That was one of my favorite reviews, I have to admit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that just, it makes my heart split just, just reading the review. <laughs> um, so why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am an author. Uh, Last Night at the Telegraph Club is my sixth uh, young adult novel. And what else to say about me? I um, live at home and work from home and I'm always here now as we all are, but it's actually not that different from my previous life because writers just sit at home and write all the time. Um, but Last Night at the Telegraph Club is a historical novel about a 17-year-old Chinese-American girl named Lily and she lives in San Francisco in the 1950s. So the book is about her coming of age and I really think of it as a love story at its heart. Yeah. And it, I mean, among all the great things about it, the cover art is just stunning. Yes. The art, the artist is uh, Fei-Fei Ruan. And I think that she is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the cover art is absolutely gorgeous. The one that, the one that she did for this book. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love, love, love it. It's like right in the middle of my bookshelf so I can stare at it. <laughs> oh, So obviously one of the things that we do is make cocktails for all the books and all the women on our show. So the cocktail for your book is obviously called the last night at the telegraph club and it's in a really fancy martini glass. We'll send you a picture of it and it's one ounce of vodka, a half an ounce of triple sec, a half an ounce of lemon juice, um, a fourth of an ounce of simple syrup and a twist of lemon. I felt like with it being a young adult novel and like a coming of age, I wanted it to be a little sweet and a little tart and then a little fancy. That's lovely. That's so nice. <laughs> so starting out, our book is set in San Francisco, as you said. Can you set the scene for what it's like in San Francisco in Chinatown during the Red Scare? Sure. So it's it's in 1954, and this is basically a year after the Korean War sort of ended. It never really ended, but it kind of ended in, in 1953. It's at the height of McCarthyism. So Senator McCarthy um, was just trying to get all those uh, so-called communists under control. Um, it's, it's an, it's a time in which being an immigrant is really a little bit scary. 
you know, and especially immigrants from China, because at that point in, in history, China had just become a communist nation. So uh, McCarthy, obviously, and the anti-communist hysteria that kind of swept the nation was very focused on potential communists and immigrants from China were one of those um, people who were suspected of communism. So in Chinatown in the 1950s, a lot of Chinese Americans were quite used to getting stopped on the street by the Immigration and Naturalization Service and FBI agents just demanding to see their papers and proof of citizenship. So um, it, that, that's a very common story that I came across in my research. And some of that is in the book, although the book is not primarily about this, but it, it kind of is the background to um, Lily's family life uh, at the time. Mm, right, because Lily's um, father in the book, correct, is an American citizen. Yes. Yeah, and um, but he's worried or there's that interior anxiety about him possibly being deported. Well, he became an American citizen by joining the military. Um, a lot of Chinese American men joined the military during World War II because that was one guaranteed way they could actually gain U.S. citizenship. So starting in 1885, the Chinese Exclusion Act actually legally excluded all people from China from immigrating to the U.S. and becoming citizens. And the Chinese Exclusion Act was actually, I think it was uh, legal until like 1943. So um, joining the military was really one way that uh, Chinese Americans could gain that right to citizenship. Yeah. And with how long it takes to, um, you know, write books like this, I know you do it full time, but it just seems that this year specifically, or last year, um, it was in the news a lot, right? Talking mm -hmm. about discrimination specifically against Asian American people. And we saw a lot of like hashtag stop Asian hate. Did this just happen to work out at just the right time? Or has this always been on your mind as a topic for a book? Well, I first came up with the idea for this book in 2016, and we sold it to my publisher in early 2017, which was, you may recall, the beginning of the Trump administration. <laughs> and um, even then, uh, the, the events of 2020 had not happened yet, obviously, in 2017, but already there was so much anti-immigrant um, fear-mongering coming from the Trump administration, and it just felt weirdly timely. Like, I didn't, I didn't really mean for it to correspond with current events, but it, it felt like it did. And I think that was both unfortunate and I guess, I guess fortunate because it kind of, you know, a historical novel can still speak to contemporary concerns. And that's very obvious today. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about your two teenage main characters? Sure. So uh, Lily is the um, girl I talked about earlier. So she's really uh, obsessed with rocket science because her Aunt Judy is a computer at the Jet Propulsion Lab. Um, so you may know that in the 1940s and 50s, women were computers, right? Which is such a weird way for us to think about it today. But they did all the math at, the, at JPL and at NASA. So um, Lily really wants to be like her Aunt Judy. Um, she is also... Uh, thinking that she might be a lesbian. This is starting to pop up in her life. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, her friend, Kath, is uh, a classmate at school. Kath really wants to be a pilot. And so Lily and Kath are the only two girls in math class together. And that's how they know each other. And Kath also realizes that Lily is thinking she might be a lesbian. And Kath already knows a bit more about her own um, sexual identity. So she kind of befriends Lily and the two of them start going to the Telegraph Club, which is this lesbian bar uh, in North Beach, which is just a couple of blocks away from where Lily lives in Chinatown. Yeah, I, I think that it's such an amazing thing to have a historical fiction with a same-sex couple because it just, there doesn't seem to be a lot of it. About two years ago, my daughter told me that she was only interested in same-sex relationships, which is not something I personally had experience with. So I started searching, right, for mm. books where she could be represented. And this was something that it was just like, wow, you don't see a lot of this. Have you had a lot of people tell you that? Yeah, I definitely have. Uh, my first YA novel was published in 2009. It was a lesbian retelling of Cinderella. And, you know, back then there was even less, you know, right? In the last five years alone, there has been such a huge growth in books about LGBTQ characters. And I'm, I'm really glad to, that there has been more. But if you think about the the entirety of like, the history of books. <laughs> like the last five years is like a tiny, tiny little pinprick in that history. So we've got a long way to go before uh, stories about uh, queer people are anywhere close to the number of stories about uh, straight people yeah. <laughs> in the world. Absolutely. And I just found like there were so many themes throughout the book that felt really warm and fuzzy, but then also felt really teenage, you know, like, and sometimes <laughs> being a teenager is really hard. What did you want when people like are reading or when they're sitting down and they're finished reading, what main themes do you want them to take away? You know, that's so interesting because I get that question a lot and I hate to admit that, you know, when I write the books, I don't actually think too much about the themes. Like I, I write the book and then it's my editor's job to come in and say, well, these are the themes that are emerging in the draft and let's bring this out here and tighten this up here. So my goal as a writer um, is always to give my readers an engaging and immersive experience. You know, like I want them to enjoy reading the book. I want to give them a lot of feelings when they're reading it. Like, that's what I love about books, you know, just totally diving into a fictional world and kind of escaping from reality for a while. So I hope that when readers read this book, they will really feel like they went to the 1950s uh, with Lily and had an experience of first love. You know, that's what I want them to feel. Yeah. Did you feel like while you were writing Lily or while you were writing Kath that your relationship with either of these characters changed as you were writing or did it stay right on point? Like that's the person that I wanted her to be. Oh, it definitely changed. I mean, it always changes for me as a writer. Like the first draft, I feel like I really have very little idea of who these characters are. I'm really starting to get to know them when I first start writing. So I don't feel like I really know them until the second or third draft, you know. And interestingly, the first draft of this book, um, I think of it now as a love story. But in the first draft, there was no romance. <laughs> and it wasn't, a, I wrote that first draft. And at the end, I was like, 
you know, there's really a romance here. I, I guess I'm going to have to go for it. You know, I, I don't know why I didn't, I didn't want to do that at first, but it was so clear that that's the story that wanted to emerge. So absolutely the characters changed when I was writing them. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the magical, the magical parts of being a writer, I think. Do you find that you sprinkle yourself throughout all of your fiction books, experiences and places you've been and people you've seen, or are you just like, no, this is just straight out of my imagination? Well, it's a mixture of both, right? Like it's not autobiographical, but I, I think that every writer has parts of themselves in every character in the book. Like I, I can, you have to kind of be able to get into the head and the feelings of every single character you're writing, even the ones that you know readers are gonna hate. Like you have to understand why those characters do the things they do. So I certainly draw from my own experiences in that area. Um, I also sometimes, you know, take little places and moments I've been to and put, in the, put them in the book. Um, like there was, there's one scene in Telegraph Club where Lily sees this, this diorama. It's like this automated mechanical miniature thing. Um, we don't really have them anymore, but I first saw the one that she actually sees in the book. I saw it myself in San Francisco and I was so surprised and like, it's so weird. It's this like 3D mechanical representation of an opium den in like the 1800s it's absolutely horrific if you really think about it but you can go see it yourself it's in the musée mechanique in san francisco and i put that in the book you know yeah i see i think about that a lot when i'm like watching movies or reading books i'm like i wonder where they got that from i bet <laughs> they've seen that in real life that's so funny um what what do you want people to relate to? Is there a character or a person or an event that you're like, hey, you know what, even if you haven't experienced this, I want you to relate to this feeling or this emotion? Well, I certainly hope that they relate to Lily. Um, I hope that they relate to her journey and her experience of falling in love for the first time, which can be really confusing. Like, even if you're not gay, I mean, the first time you you think you're falling in love with someone, it's like, what am I feeling? Is this really what it is? Is this what it's supposed to feel like? Like, how are you supposed to know? You know, it's the first time you've ever done this. So it's always a little bit, um, I think it's always going to be confusing for anyone. So I, I certainly hope that they uh, can identify with, with that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you said that you had started this um back in like 2016 did did you just like wake up one day and you're like this is the story I want to write or did you already have some research in place where you're like I think I want to set it in San Francisco I think I want to talk about the Red Scare well actually it it started as a short story and I I wrote it for an anthology called All Out the no longer secret stories of queer teens throughout the ages uh the short story had Lily in it uh, and it was just about her um, realizing that lesbians might exist. <laughs> this was literally the entire short story, right? And I thought that's all it was going to be. And I did do research for it. I, I probably over-researched that short story even, but it was just a short story. So it's like 15 pages. Um, and when I finished it, I was talking to my agent about it and he pointed out, you know, this could really be a novel, and he was just, he was so right, because it was clear that I had so much more to say about Lily. So that's when I decided to expand it into a novel. However, I knew basically nothing about the 1950s 
So <laughs> I had to do so much research. And I also had to really think about how the book, how the story would work as a novel. So as I just said, in the first draft, there was no love story in it, right? So I wrote that whole first draft thinking that wasn't going to happen. But as you revise and continue to research and work on the story, it does evolve in ways that are unexpected. I think that's happened for me with every book. So I never know it all at the beginning. I think if I knew it all, I wouldn't do it. I, part of the fun is knowing that you're not going to know it all. Well, I don't know if I would say fun. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it, it happens. It's a thing that you have to accept and then you kind of go along for the ride. <laughs> And where did you uh, start with your research? Did you, was it mostly online? Did you do a lot of going for primary sources? Because I know when we're researching an episode, especially on lesser known women, sometimes we have to dig pretty deep to find like little details so that it doesn't like throw the story off or, you know, say something that's incorrect. Yeah, it was hard to do research for this. I mean, I started online. I, that's where you always start. Uh, just literally with Google and Wikipedia. But then you go to the footnotes in Wikipedia and you start clicking and you start following little leads. And then you go, to, then I went to the library. You know, you got to go to the library and check out those books. So um, the thing is, there's very little history on uh, queer Asian Americans. The historians have not written about us and we have largely been erased or marginalized from history. But we are in the footnotes of some of these books that I read. So I would go to the footnotes of the book and find the original source where they where that footnote referred to. Um, and it was really difficult to put together this history. I ended up talking to um, a couple of Asian American lesbians who had grown up in San Francisco in the 1950s and 60s. You know, I, I actually met one of them. She took me on a, on a walking tour of Chinatown and where she used to live. She told me all about her life. It was amazing. It was, it was just so wonderful for her to do that for me. And that's, I got some really good um, feedback from her. And so I did do internet research. I did do in-person research. I went to some archives. I looked at a bunch of high school yearbooks from Galileo High School in the 1950s to see what, you know, high school students looked like back then. It was a lot of fun. I love doing research. And I know you guys do too. You do a lot <laughs> for your podcast. They're very in-depth. They are. Uh, we, we, when we started the show, we were like, oh, it'll be an hour long, a half an hour for one woman and a half an hour for the other. Yeah, right. <laughs> Never going to happen. There's a lot to find out and you go through, you get into these little rabbit holes and you keep digging and it's just so fascinating, I think. For sure. And I can't imagine spending, you know, years working on a story. I kind of have that like, okay, I open up, I do the research, I tell the story and it's like one week, two weeks done. Whereas like- <laughs> I wish. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I feel like your emotional ties with the characters are probably so much deeper than, than I ever go. Yeah, I wish, I wish writing books didn't take as long as it does. I really <laughs> do. I'm not a very fast writer. There are, there are writers who are a lot faster than me, but- you know, I am what I am. <laughs> <laughs> you can only be that. That's right. Did you have a favorite part to write? And like, conversely to that, did you have a most more, like the part that was the most difficult to get down on paper? 
Well, the most difficult part is always the beginning for me. I have such a hard time with the beginnings of books because I don't really know the characters then. And I'm really trying to figure out who these people are, like, what are they doing? So I try to make them do things. And it's, it's really hard at first, just because I don't know who they are. So I often end up going back to the beginning and working on it over and over again as I get to know them. Um, so that's definitely the hardest part. For me, th- my favorite part to write was one of the scenes from the perspective of Lily's Aunt Judy. Um, it comes later in the book, and I won't spoil it, but it's, I, I think it was my favorite to write because I didn't write it till very late in the process, maybe in the third draft or so. So by then, I really knew what was happening. I knew who the characters were, and I knew that something had to happen in this scene to connect you know, point A to point B. And I just sat down one afternoon and it took me a few hours, but I, I just wrote it and I was surprised by what came out, but it never really changed after that in later revisions. And I think that that feeling of just knowing what to write and having it come out almost in exactly the way it ends up in the final draft, that was just really wonderful to me for me it doesn't happen very often I have to say so I cling to that memory <laughs> to keep me going sounds pretty satisfying like yes I it did. was <laughs> it was so this I cannot um promote this book more it's so lovely I definitely judge a book by its cover because the inside <laughs> is just as great Um, so obviously now all of our listeners can sit down and have a cocktail while they read it and re-experience their first love, but where can people find you and your other work and this book? I am on all the socials, uh, at Melinda Lowe. So that's M-A-L-I-N-D-A, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, I guess. Um, and you can also go to my website. It's at MelindaLowe.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It's been such a joy to talk to you. I cannot wait for all of our listeners to get this book and I'll send you a copy of the cocktail so you know what you can drink with the book. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you so much. This has been fun. to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.